Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the blessing and gift of this day. Thank you for this opportunity to worship you together, Lord. We thank you for the grace you have given us in this, Lord. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to have our hearts open to you, our minds opened, and our mouths open to proclaim your goodness, Lord God. We pray that you would reveal yourself to us this morning, that you would transform our lives, that you would help us to come to the foot of your cross, Lord, and receive your grace and mercy today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning! It is wonderful to see you all today. Well, you know what? In our world, we are buried under decisions, aren't we? Right? Has anyone ever been to a grocery store before? Right? And when you go in a grocery store, you go, say you just want to buy some cereal and milk. How hard a decision could that be? How many types of milk are there in the store? Too many. There's a ton, right? Yeah. You've got like almond milk, rice milk, cow milk, goat milk. Um, chicken milk, whatever. I don't even know what else they have, right? And then, so you choose, say you choose cow milk, right? What kind of cow milks can you choose? Non-fat, 1%, 2%. Full, uh, whole milk. Then you can choose organic, raw. Um, still in the cow milk, right? I mean, they got all that, like, like all these options. And then you, so you choose the type of milk. What size should you get? Right? Do you go for the value with the gallon size, but it might not, it might go bad before you finish it all? Or do you go for a small size where you pay more for the packaging? You know, what do you do? So many decisions. Then you're like, so you got milk sorted out. Dump it in your cart. You move on to the cereal. How many cereals are there in the grocery store? It's unbelievable, isn't it, how many choices there are. It is almost paralyzing. Right? You choose, your, you find the cereal you might want. Then do you choose like the low-fat version, the high-fat version, the low-sodium, the gluten-free, the, the generic version of the cereal that you normally eat, or the normal version, or the generic generic, or like the store generic, or the, you know, what do you do? There's, it's almost incapacitating those decisions. And then I find for myself, when I do make decisions, I often go back and regret them. Right? I look back and then second guess and say, oh, maybe I should have done this or should have done that. Or when I get into more serious situations in my life, sometimes I find that after I've gone through something, I realize there was a decision point that I didn't even recognize at the time. By my inaction, I made a decision that I didn't even know I was making and how I wish I could go back I wish I could go back in that conversation when that person said something and had an opportunity to respond with grace, mercy, whatever, hope. And instead, I said nothing. And then look back on that and regret it. Anyone have those moments in your life? They kind of stack up on us, don't they? Now, decisions, we are surrounded by decisions. But what if your whole life boiled down to one decision? One choice, one thing you chose to do that could either lead to great good or great evil. Well, that, my friends, is the book of Esther. <clears throat> it's one of the most dramatic and messy stories in the Old Testament, and it is a story of one woman's choice that changed the fate of her people. This account begins, like so many stories we know, with a 180-day party. 
Right in the midst of this party, King Ahasuerus, or as you probably know him from your history books, King Xerxes, has had a few goblets, too many of wine, and he calls for his wife at the time, Queen Vashti, to appear before him and his guests so that they can see how good-looking she is. Now, I don't claim to know everything about women, but I'm guessing this is not the best thing to ask. Is it? Right? You know, hey, wife, come out so all these drunk guys can see how beautiful you are. Right? That probably did not enamor her to him. And certainly from the story, we can see that it doesn't because she declines the invitation. She's like, no, thank you. I will not go out in that room. The king's not sure what to do. He's like, okay, well, I've just told everybody she's going to come out. Now she won't come out. What am I going to do? And so he asks his advisors. And his advisors say, okay, king, you need to make a decision. You need to put your foot down on this one because otherwise all the wives in the kingdom are going to get uppity with their husbands and it's going to be mass chaos, right? So you need to um, send her out from here. You need to, like, banish her. And so the king does that. He deposes her as his queen, and um, it's kind of an interesting situation, right? I notice guys are all pretty quiet right now, (laughs) right? But it's kind of a funny situation, you know, if you kind of pull yourself away from it. Um, But that is what he does. So he um, gets rid of Vashti, and then he starts a reality show competition for choosing the next queen of Persia. It really is. This is like The Bachelor. I mean, if you were to, it is just thousands of years before, but it is the same situations you see on TV today. Choosing your spouse among a bunch of choices um, in some really compromising situations. That is what happens in Persia here that Queen Esther is a part of. So in this reality show competition, they bring the most beautiful women from the kingdom in to compete for the heart of the king. The one who pleases him will be the queen. Into this competition comes a young woman, young Jewish woman, Esther, who is put forward by her older cousin, Mordecai, who is raising her. Esther quickly becomes a favorite of the harem eunuch, who takes her under his wing. Now, in order to prepare for the competition, each of these women have 12 months of beautifying treatments that they go through before they see the king. This is like a drawn-out thing. There's like multiple seasons of this going on, this show. And sure enough, when it's Esther's night to go in and be with the king, the king falls for her, and she is made queen of Persia. Now, all is good and well. Everyone's happy. Esther's the queen. Until a guy named Haman comes up with a plot to kill all the Jews in Persia. And he tells the king, hey, king, if you let me just wipe them out, I'll pay you 750,000 pounds of silver to do so. Right? I mean, that's a pretty good deal. Right? King's been racking up some big debt with wars with Greece. And so he thinks, hey, this is not a bad deal. You know, I lose some people, but I get 750,000 pounds of silver, which is not an inconsequential amount. Right? Anyone bring that much silver with them today? (laughs) No, it's incredible. That's a ton of silver. So this compelling offer is given to the king, and he accepts it. Now let's pause for a moment and talk about why the Jews are in Persia. Well, they were there because they had been taken 
from the southern kingdom of Judah to Babylon by a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And then Babylon had been conquered by Persia. And so there they are, stuck in Persia now, these Jewish exiles. They're already exiles, and now their very existence is in jeopardy because of the plot of this guy named Haman. Mordecai warns Esther of this plot, but she feels that she has no recourse, that she can't approach the, queen, or the king unless she is invited or she will be killed. That's how it worked, right? Even though they were married, she couldn't come in and see him unless he said, Esther, I call for you to come in and see me. This is not how it works in your homes, is it? No, I hope not. That would be really difficult to communicate. Um, and so, but Mordecai offers up these words to her. He says, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You might keep silent now, thinking you'll be safe up there in the palace, but you will die too. And moreover, perhaps you are here for just this moment. That's what Mordecai challenges her with. Maybe it's just this moment that you've been put here for. Is this your time to stand up and fight for what's right, Esther? Well, as you know, she decides that yes, it is indeed her time. But she asks that all the Jews fast on her behalf, so that as she goes into the king, she will have favor. Now Esther, of course, finds favor with the king, and so she invites him then, and also Haman, to a feast. Haman's loving the attention. He's an attention hound. And someone has finally recognized his greatness, he feels, that he's dining with the king and the queen. Man, this is the best party ever. At this feast, the king asks Esther what she wants, but she just tells him to come to her feast the next day. On the way home, side plot here, Haman is feeling great, but then he sees Mordecai, who he hates because Mordecai never bows down to him. So he just hates that guy, Mordecai. And so when he gets home, he has a plan of killing Mordecai. And so he has a gallows built 75 feet tall to hang him on. This is where I think Clint Eastwood came up with hang him high. Right? This is the original uh, motivation for that. Yeah, 75 feet tall. Um, so that aside, we come now back to the feast the next night. And they're kicking back, having a great meal together. And the king asks Esther what her wish is. To which she says, I only have one wish, king. I want my life and the life of my people. For we have been sold to be destroyed. The king is rightfully ticked about this one. Because no one sells the king's wife except for the king. right? And then it comes out that Haman is the one who has done this. Now, the party at this point turns in a direction Haman was not expecting. And, the, and at that time, the king's eunuch points out that there's a freshly built gallows at Haman's house. And so Haman is then hung upon his own gallows, which he built for hanging Mordecai. The Jews are then given an order by the king uh, that they can fight back against anyone who tries to fight against them. And they are delivered from extinction at that point. 
And the Jews still celebrate this feast day. It's called Purim. They celebrate it. I think it's in the springtime. Is that right? Now, that's a convoluted story with lots of twists and turns and lots of messiness and people whose lives don't look beautiful and make decisions that make us cringe. And we don't feel comfortable even talking about all the situations they get into in the midst of church, right? There's some messiness in this story. So what in the world does this have to do with anything else? Well, ultimately, this whole story of Esther boils down to one minute, one choice she had, whether she would choose to try to hide in the palace of the king and trust that she would be okay because she was the queen, or whether she would put her life on the line for her people, whether she would lay down her life for someone else. She had a decision of self-sacrifice. Would she do that, or would she not? We understand this choice, because this decision is at the very center of our faith. Because we have a king who laid down his life for us. Jesus Christ took our flesh upon himself, lived as one of us, yet without sin, and then went to the cross freely to die for the sins of you and me so that through his death and resurrection we could be set free from the bondage of sin and death. He fulfilled the deliverance that Esther hoped for. And his deliverance was not merely temporal as Esther's was because there was more peril in line for the Jews. Jesus' deliverance is forever. Now, the challenge of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is it presents you and I with a choice as well. What will we do? What will we do when we are presented with the cross of Jesus Christ? Will we confess our sins and brokenness to him and receive his grace, his mercy, and forgiveness? Or will we live in rebellion to him try and seek safety in our own palace in this world that we construct for ourselves. My hope for us is that we will be people who receive the grace and mercy of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then we'll go out like those messengers that Mordecai sent out to proclaim the deliverance of our Savior in this world. That we'll not keep this decision to ourselves, but we'll share it with others so that they can know what it means to truly be free and forgiven. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that you step into the messiness of our lives and you offer us deliverance, Lord. We confess to you, Lord, we've gotten dirty in this world. We have gotten ourselves into things we have no business being involved in. Lord, we have thought things and done things and said things. Lord, which are not right. We confess these to you now and ask that you would forgive us, Lord, that you would set us free from the bondage of sin and death, that we might truly live for you. And we pray that as you send us forth from this place set free, that we would proclaim your goodness in this world, that we would bear testimony to the life and deliverance you have you have brought about. And we pray that as we do this, that others would come to know you 
and to love you and to serve you as we seek to know you and love you and serve you as well. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.